0: This episode of Hit the Ground Running is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on.
1: I'm Christina Royster. And I'm
0: Yasmin Gagne.
1: And you're listening to Hit the Ground Running, a fast company podcast where we help young professionals uncover how to make it in the ever-changing world of work.
0: On today's episode, we talk about our experiences with diversity initiatives at work. We'll be speaking with our parent company's chief people officer, Joe Johnson, about how to promote diversity and inclusion in the workplace and how to be an advocate for change. All right. I guess it's a countdown until we head back to the office.
1: Yeah. Are you looking forward to heading back? A lot has changed while we've been working remotely. Are you heading back to the office full time? No, I'm not. I'm going to be staying remote. I live in New Jersey. So I figure I could probably come back every once in a while. Definitely. I'm hoping that we can work from home like a
0: day or two a week and go to the office for the other part of it. But we'll see. It's going to take some time to readjust for sure. I was at a party this weekend. And it was kind of overwhelming being around that many people. Yeah,
1: being around people again is really weird. I kind of feel like dirty, like a little secret, like, Oh, I have my mask off. (laughs) But I I think readjusting to the office will, you know, be a lot easier because of the new initiatives that we've put in place while working from home. Our DEI committee has, you know, stepped up to the plate and done a little bit more for the culture and just making sure that everybody feels included.
0: So you're on our office, DEI committee. Can you explain kind of first of all what DEI even stands for and also what you all do?
1: Yeah. So the committee was started in 2020. And, you know, this is just kind of separate working in tandem with HR, but kind of separate and making sure that every single department at the company has a voice. And so DEI stands for diversity, equity and inclusion. And it's just the committee's job to make sure that everybody is being paid fairly, being heard. Even just small details like having an anonymous survey to ask the CEO questions. Those are some of the initiatives that the DEI committee put in place and ERG groups, you know, making sure that different affinity groups have a place to belong in the office. So it's definitely been rewarding just seeing all of our ideas come to fruition and also, you know, making a change for the better at our company. Because I I will admit, like, every company has room to grow, you know, not everybody is going to get DEI right. So I'm glad that we do have people of color on the committee, you know, kind of leading the charge.
0: And we're trying, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) You mentioned a term that's kind of interesting and that you know, I don't know that everybody knows, because I actually only learned about it pretty recently. But can you tell me what an ERG is? Yeah, an
1: ERG is an employee resource group. So this is kind of like your dedicated groups at the office for, you know, minority groups. For example, when I was in college, we had black student union. It's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. So we could have an LGBTQ group, we could have a mom's group, we could have a young people group, anything at all to make people have a sense of belonging at the office. So I'm part of an ERG at Fast Company, which is cool, although
0: is it an official ERG? No, but I am part of one. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Um, Yes. But one way in which the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee has actually kind of changed my life and changed a lot of people's life is we actually did a pay equity survey for the whole company. So we worked with an outside our outside group, essentially to see like, you know, our union has already made sure that we have pay floors for every single position. So there's like a minimum salary for everyone, which is amazing. Before we unionized, I can be honest, like I was making way less than the pay floor. Changed my life. <laughs> well, that's good, yeah. You know, the recent survey basically looked at all the employees of color, and they looked at people who sort of self-identified as people of color and looked at their salaries compared to a range of debt, including like other people in the role, you know, years of experience, how much people were making when they were previously in that role. And they found in some cases that people were being underpaid. So there weren't many, many of us, I guess I can share, like I was Part of that group, you know, obviously sucks to find that out, but it also was kind of impressive to see our company step up and figure it out. I haven't been in a workplace where anyone's done that before.
1: Yeah, that's what I was gonna add earlier. You know, are we getting everything 100 right? No, everybody has room to grow, but just the fact that we did the pay audit just proved that we were at least trying. And I think that's all we want is companies to try. <laughs> yeah, I know it's gonna take years for companies to kind of reverse what's been ingrained in workplace culture for literally decades like yeah i I can share that fast company had sort of like a dei training an outside consultant came in and you know gave us a, a good long training and in that training they talked about how workplace culture just even from what we wear to what's considered professional or not that's all like they said it was white supremacy kind of ingrained in workplace culture. And that was shocking for everybody to hear. Nobody likes to hear that they've been getting it wrong. Was it? Was it shocking for everybody no. to yeah, hear? Yeah, it wasn't shocking No, for right? That, I mean, yeah, your hosts were
0: not surprised, yeah. <laughs> dear
1: listeners. But I'm, I'm glad that we got to go through that and everybody on staff got to hear that and really learn from it. And I think that was probably one of the really successful things that the DEI committee was able to do in the past year.
0: Something that's really interesting that I've been thinking about, or but that I like absolutely don't have an answer to is, um, you know, I'm, I'm half Indian and my family's Muslim. And something I am personally really wary of in terms of like my own writing and my own coverage is like, I obviously love to write about, you know, Indian people Or, you know, brown people, South Asian people who are relevant to our coverage. And I obviously, you know, love it when a brother or sister succeeds and I get to write about them. (laughs) But I don't want to get pigeonholed. You know, I don't want people to be like, oh, that's the brown girl. Like, she covers brown issues.
1: Does that make sense? I see what you're saying. Yeah, I definitely don't want people to think, oh, Christina only cares about black issues. Because this is where we start talking about intersectionality. I am a black millennial so I care about you know young people and student loan debt I am a black woman so I care about women's rights the intersectionality I am more than just a black face you know what I'm saying and so I completely understand I don't want people I think that's part of it
0: but I'm also I mean I guess social media is a little different but I know for me it's like no but I can interview a white male CEO and like I can write a business article about Mm -hmm. anything you know what I mean like i i don't want to feel like my work is like confined to some identity that i have
1: yeah i totally understand you don't want to just become that go-to person that okay we have an indian person let's make Yaz write about it (laughs) yeah
0: and it's like weird because i'm like don't get me wrong i love to do it i just don't
1: want that to be like my thing yeah i completely understand that Like uh, the only time I've really ever written for Fast Company is I was really moved by the passing of Chadwick Boseman. So I wrote an article about it for Fast Company. And I don't know. I feel like that representation does matter because if I didn't step up to the plate and I didn't ask about it, maybe that article wouldn't have gotten written. You know, I mean, our coverage is pretty good, so it probably would have. But having people of color on staff can just open you up to new topics and new experiences. And like you said, it'll diversify our coverage and that'll in turn bring in other people right now. They're probably listening to this podcast. Like I love hit the ground running, there's two women of color and maybe the people listening never even heard of Fast Company, but now they do. So you don't know what that diversity could do for your business. Yeah,
0: I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's important to, you know, reflect as many identities as possible in our coverage, right?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I'm curious, you know, you're someone who has been really outspoken. I mean, just in company meetings and kind of in general, and you've spoken one on one with our CEO, like, I'm not like that. You know, I'm a junior employee, but like, I'm terrified of speaking up. That doesn't mean that I don't have like my own activism. I'm involved in our union, for example. Like, do you feel just innately comfortable
1: speaking up as a junior employee no not at all i think I, I think we talked about on some earlier episodes how i think my confidence has grown while working from home i am a little bit behind a screen so i feel more comfortable speaking up but also it's just been i don't want to say enra- in I'm, I'm not enraged but given the past year everything that's been going on with the pandemic and then black people dying on tv that stuff I am internalizing it. And it's just going to keep building up and building up until I explode. And I don't want to explode at anybody. But when we have important conversations about race in the workplace, I don't want anybody to get it wrong. I don't want anybody to tell my story. I don't want anybody to say how Christina feels if Christina didn't open her mouth and say that. So that's why I try to speak up and, and be people to the punch and speak my mind first. And, I mean, I don't think it's a problem to share. We had a town hall, and somebody did ask when protests are being aired on the tv how would my colleagues of color like me to respond and i unmuted myself and i spoke up and i said i don't want to hear about how woke you are how many books you've read and podcasts you've listened to i just want to know that you're genuinely there for me and you're a true ally and that was hard for me to speak up and tell a colleague in front of the whole company but nobody else was stepping up to the plate it was dead silent on that call and i felt like if i don't say it nobody will so that's really what's been you know lighting a fire under me is like that thought, if I don't say it, nobody else will. And I don't, like you said, I don't wanna speak for every black person, but I do feel like an obligation to like speak for my generation, speak for my people, so. I
0: get what you're saying. Something that I think we'll sort of touch on with Joe and something that he is partly responsible for instituting is we now have a forum where people can submit anonymous questions that our CEO can then address. And, and to me, that's been so important. You know, it's been great to have that opportunity to like, if you're not as outspoken, be able to ask those questions. That said, I did ask a question on the anonymous forum and it was pointedly not answered. So I asked it with my name attached to it in a meeting later, but I was like terrified. I had to like take a shower afterwards just to decompress. Yeah. What a nightmare. Kind of gross. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, speaking of that, we are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be talking with Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson our chief people officer, about how to promote diversity and inclusion in the workplace and how to be an advocate for change. This episode of Hit the Ground Running is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Hey, Joe. Hello. How are you? So good. before we, you know, pepper you with questions, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear from you just what diversity, equity, and inclusion means? I feel like they're words that we just hear every day, all the time, but what does it mean to you, and and why do you think it's so important?
2: I look at diversity and inclusion, first of all. I look at uh, diversity as being asked uh, to come to the party, and I think I look at inclusion as, you know, once you get there, being asked to dance, and then equity, it's actually given the same opportunity everybody else has. And not asking for anything more, anything less, just equal opportunity. And I think it's important because in order for me to give 120%, I've got to feel like I'm welcomed and that somebody values me. And I think that if you're not getting those considerations, you're not going to get that feeling. And that's why it's so critical. But even more so than that, you know, if you're going to get 120% out of somebody or you expect that, You know, you've got to give more than you can expect. And you've got to be the model that you expect.
1: Mm, Yeah. You know, as you said, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, has kind of become a buzzword. And after the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests, a lot of companies were kind of scrambling to figure out their DEI solutions. And so as employees, do you think that we should speak up to our companies and tell them what we want as as far as DEI? Or should we speak out and tell them, hey, this is performative? and we don't like this, and we don't like that, you know, or, or should we just sit back and kind of do our own thing? You know, I think, I think the
2: the, the first two is critical.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, you know, I, but I,
0: I think what Christine is getting at is also that there can be a cost to speaking up, right? Yeah, like, there can be negative repercussions on you, there can be, you know, I would say when I, when I have thought about speaking up, you know, to our CEO, it's obviously terrifying because I'm a junior employee. That's why I think our anonymous question forum is so great. But how, how do you kind of weigh those two things, kind of the impulse to act and help people and the fact that there may be negative repercussions for you as a junior employee?
2: You know, it, what's interesting is I think it's unfortunate that you even have to ask yourself that question. You know, that tells me that if you have to ask yourself that question, we're not where we need to be. And I think that's what inclusivity is all about. It's making everybody feel like they, they can be heard and that they're valued. So when you know going to Christina's question, I think you have to speak out. I think that it's imperative that you speak out. I think that the companies and the senior management they have to be prepared to accept what they're hearing because a lot of what they're hearing is based on decisions that have been made, maybe not by the current senior management team, but by past senior management team members. And so, you know what? You're in the seat. There's a level of responsibility there. And your most valued asset in the organization is it's our people. And until we recognize that it's not management, it's the people, it's the colleagues, the associates within the organization. And if you don't give them a form to speak out and feel comfortable doing so, we're missing the mark. For us on this podcast,
1: it's diversity is a no brainer, you know. But other people seem to be afraid of diversity. It's been like a challenge for some people. And so can you just kind of put yourself in those people's shoes and tell us why is diversity so hard for people to grasp?
2: You know, I'm a person of color, so I cannot put myself in their shoes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just, it just can't happen. Quite frankly, they can't put themselves in my shoes I. Yeah. And I think that's what we have to recognize that, you know what? At birth, we were given, you know, basically, you know, we were given what we are and we had no choice, you know. And I think that the people that feel comfortable that are non-people of color, if you will, think about it. They have had privilege and you're asking them to potentially give up something that they that they've been able to take advantage of. And quite frankly, let me back up. I don't think they take advantage of it. They're just at birth anointed that privilege. And I think we need to recognize that is that, you know, now some people may take advantage more, uh, take advantage of the privilege more than others. But at the end of the day, we have to m- understand that the privilege that they have, and I, what I'm referring to is the white privilege that they had, was given to them at birth. And you know what, if you don't see anything wrong, and you think the current state of affairs is acceptable, that is the basic definition of white privilege we have to be able to sit in a room and discuss that. And we're not, you know, we don't have to be combative. We don't have to, you know, be aggressive. All we have to do is have a, you know, have a group of people that are willing to have that conversation. And when you have that conversation, you're showing respect on both sides and that needs to happen. And quite frankly, and unfortunately, it doesn't happen in, you know, in a lot of organizations.
0: You know, I can see myself, Talking to a colleague who doesn't necessarily understand the importance of DEI and just getting really emotional, right? And I'm curious how we can advocate for DEI with colleagues who maybe don't understand the importance. Like, how do you enter that conversation?
2: I think we have to be authentic and we have to understand our start point. You know, as a person of color, my start point is very different than a a white male perspective. It's just the start point is different. So I think it's trying to, as let me back up. Let me look at it from a senior management perspective. I think, and I fully believe that in order to be effective in organizations today, senior managers have to move from manager role to leader role. And manager role is basically driven by task. You complete the task, you check it off and you move on. Leader role is driven by people. And if you're an effective leader, you are engaged with your people and not just the people that look like you or not just the people that you feel comfortable with. In fact, it's your responsibility as a manager to make the first step and not it's not the, uh, the responsibility of the employee. The manager, if in fact they're a leader, needs to take on that responsibility day in and day out. They need to create an environment where the colleague, the employee feels safe and so
1: as far as dei efforts go in the workplace we're still in a pandemic and we're working from home most of us so how does a remote environment help or hurt this
2: in order to make that connection the remote environment makes it a little bit more challenging because there's three things that drive interactions and one is the words you use the second is the the tone of your words and the third is the body language unfortunately words you use only have a 7% impact in developing rapport. The tone of the words you use only have a 38% impact and the body language has a 55% impact. So think about that. When you're working virtually, you miss that human connection, that body language And you'll see it on the Zoom, but it's not the same as being there in person. So, you know, you got to miss that. So you you got to make up for it in some way, shape or form. So that means you even have to have more connection, you know, more virtual connection with your people in order to create that dialogue, you know, create that safe space.
0: You uh, you had those numbers ready for us. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm curious, you know, I'm a junior employee. Right. And... Something that I feel fortunate about in my career is, you know, I started out as an assistant in another magazine and it's, you know, a woman of color who really like advocated for me, helped me, you know, get into an editor role and help me out. And I know I try and do the same for our interns, but I guess I'm curious, you know, how you think of employees at junior level? Like, how do you think we can kind of feel a sense of inclusion and belonging and how can we... Promote that. You were just talking about leaders and the importance of great leadership. But what do you do when you're not a
2: leader? You know, I think that you can, you know what? Just because you don't have the title does not mean that you can't be a leader. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we have to recognize. Everybody in the organization can be a leader if they want to. Leadership is something that you have to embrace, it's not just going to happen naturally, it's got to be intentional. And so I think that for the junior folks in the organization, I think that what they have to do is they have to speak out. It requires a level of courage that in terms of courage, when you go to that step, it's uncomfortable. But I tell people that growth is uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable every day, that means you're not growing. If you're not making the organization feel a little bit uncomfortable every day, then the organization's not growing. And I think that's what happens. The junior folks, maybe sometimes they feel beat down and there's too much risk in providing that feedback. And you know what? It two things happen. The employee's growth potentially stops and the organization's growth potentially stops. So I would just encourage every employee, I don't care you know, how new you are to the organization or how senior you are to the organization, it's everybody's responsibility. It's not just management's responsibility. I would say that they have the initial responsibility for creating the environment, but I think it's not only top down, I think it's bottom-up communication that has to take place. And to your point, Yes. The anonymous question platform is a start, but let me tell you, that's just a start and we've got a long way to go. Yeah. And you know,
1: we've been talking a lot about current employees and what's going on internally, but what about companies that are trying to hire diverse talent? How can companies start to attract diverse talent and really open up to that talent pool? Because I feel like that is a missed opportunity. Well, I think there's two
2: things. I think that one of the things that I look at is I look at companies taking on DEI more from an optics perspective. You know, we're going to create it, but we really aren't serious about it. And and I think that a lot of companies did that after the, the George Floyd incident. You would see, I mean, you would see every day, you know, there were job openings opportunities for, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals, you know, and then you think about it, you step back, and you say, are you serious about it, or do you just want to say now you've hired a DEI specialist, or a DEI consultant, or a DEI uh, leader within your organization, or are you actually going to make the change that you need to make? So, I think that a lot of organizations are approaching DEI from an optics perspective, but when you peel back the onion, there's no measurements, there's no qualitative or quantitative measurements that uh, will indicate how well you're doing. And, and I think that if your organization does not have quantitative or qualitative measurements, their DEI effort is more for optics than anything. Wow. Thank you so much for
1: just sharing your thoughts on this, Joe. It really has been a pleasure having you on the show. And I just want people to understand when they listen to this, that when we're talking about DEI, it's not just people of color. We're talking about LGBTQ rights. We're talking about all of these marginalized groups in the workplace navigating and hopefully having chief people officers like you
2: helping them along the way. The fight is not over, but I feel like we are making progress. Well, I I agree with you, Christine. I think that the default when you say diversity is ethnicity. That's only one aspect of diversity. And what we have to recognize is that we should be focused on inclusivity, and equity. And if we're focused on inclusivity and equity, diversity will happen. But we have to have measurements in place so that we can always check ourselves to make sure that what we're doing is meaningful and is going to make a difference. And if it doesn't, we just have to back up and reevaluate and then create a new game plan if that's necessary and go back out and execute. But it takes everybody. It doesn't, you know, it's not a senior management, sole responsibility, senior management. The most junior people in the organization can have an impact on the organization's diversity, equity, and inclusion just by speaking up and don't be afraid to. And if anybody in the organizations that I work in, if anybody feels uncomfortable and that they've been treated differently because they spoke up, then they need to talk to me because that's not going to be, that's not going to be tolerated.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show, Joe, appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much. I enjoyed it very much. All right. So
1: that was a really great conversation with Joe. I feel like we kind of, we kind of hit some hard hitting questions, but as he said, it needed to be talked about. So what did you take away from that? You know,
0: he said something that I think is, is both true. And also I'm a little skeptical of at the same time, which is like at any level you can influence things right? Like he's saying, like, even when you're a junior employee, you can be a leader. And I'm like, I think that's true. Like, I want to believe that I want to be that person. I want to see myself that way. And yeah, I think he's right. You know, it's worth speaking up at the same time. Like, I don't know if that's true in every organization. Yeah,
1: definitely. I feel you. I mean, I think it's a really good question. Because as you said at the top of the episode, I myself have spoken out and I, I didn't really, yeah. I didn't really think about the repercussions. I, I guess the adrenaline in me was just like, it's either now or never. And I just spoke up. But then later I was like, oh wow, I could just get fired. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I'm, I took away what he said also about how you know, it's not just management. We always look to leadership to lead us, but you could be a leader at any position. And my other takeaway would be the fact that he said, everybody's always trying to hire for diversity and try to fix their diversity problem. Like, let's just get some more black people on staff. But if you focus on equity first, diversity will come. So I didn't think about it that way. I really um, liked what he said about that. So great takeaways. I like that a lot too. Yeah.
0: Christina, what have you been keeping tabs on this week?
1: I am keeping tabs on a documentary, Mary J. Blige, hopefully everybody knows who she is she's a world-renowned rmv singer she has a new documentary that she executive produced about her life called my life and it's inspired by her second studio album that dropped in 1994 and she said that album really changed her life and what does that have to do with this podcast what does that have to do with hit the ground running this this documentary really opened my eyes to how influential You can be as an artist and as a creative person, whether it's through your writing, Yaz, or through this podcast, we're reaching people without even realizing it. And she was just so humble and gracious whenever she met a fan who said, hey, your music really saved me from suicide or anything like that. You know, That documentary really touched me. It was a tearjerker and it's available on Amazon Prime if anybody's interested. And what are you keeping tabs on? I just finished this book called Empire
0: of Pain about the Sacklers which is the, the family responsible for the opioid crisis, essentially. And I'm like a kind of a nightmare at the moment, because every time I see a friend, I'm like, did you know? <laughs> um, but it's really worth reading. I think we just had a conversation that touched on the fact that some organizations can kind of talk the talk, but not really walk the walk. And I think, you know, what's so striking about that book is the sort of, PR campaign that the family and their company Purdue Farmer waged to claim that like there was an epidemic of pain in America and they could solve it when behind the scenes it was just incredibly cynical the whole way through. So I can't recommend it enough it's by Patrick Radden who's one of my favorite authors and yeah check it out. Thanks for listening to Hit the Ground Running. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and recommend this show to a colleague or friend, or a colleague who is a friend.
1: Also, if you have a few minutes, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're a new show and your review helps others find us. Or you can send us an email at podcast at fastcompany.com and let us know your thoughts and tell us if you have a question or an issue you'd like for us to tackle on the show. Hit the Ground Running is produced by Franz Bowen with the help of Blake
0: Odom and with editorial oversight from Kate Davis.